Hello and welcome to Syndicated Thursday on HPR. Today we're introducing a new show that we're syndicating here and it's Eurotrash, security with funny accents and from the website. We are trying to do here is quite simple. Most podcasts in the information security realm are US focus. While we love and continue to listen to these, we thought something was missing. An EU focused info security podcast. And with that, we're going to bring you episode 19, which was originally aired on Thursday, the 24th of February, 2011. And it's with Haron Mir, who apparently is one kick-ass dude from South South Africa. We're keeping Thursdays open uh, as an open slot here on HBR with the view that if you um, know of some Creative Commons um, work that you would like played here, then that's a free slot in which to do it. Highlight new podcasts, for instance, like the show for today. Interesting speeches, like the speech uh, presentation given last week. Even some Creative Commons music. Um, if you think of any of that uh, type of stuff, please feel free to send it on in and we'll schedule it for the Thursday slots. We have 199 free slots still available, so if you've been thinking about recording a show now, is a very good time to do it. And with that, I'll turn you over to our show for today. Past peas, past peas, past peas, all like we used to say. Past peas, past peas, past peas, all like we used to say. Past peas, past peas, past peas, all like we used to say. Past peas, past peas, what? Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Eurotrash Security Podcast. I'm your host, Dale Pearson, and I'm joined as usual by Wim Remez, Chris John Riley, and Craig Boarding. Of course, it wouldn't be any complete show without our RSS feed, Wicked Clown. <laughs> and we're joined by our extra special guest, Haroon Mir. Hello, Haroon. How are you doing? Hello. First time I've been called extra special. Uh, nice to meet you guys. Yeah, we like to VIP our special guests. Yeah, we'll say anything, Haroon. <laughs> Just remember, you owe us money. <laughs> I think we For owe sure. him money. <laughs> there is a, a Nigerian owes some money to. He's a Nigerian prince somewhere. <laughs> that, that's right, because South back. Africa and Nigeria, we almost the same place. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. Yeah. <laughs> You're foreign. I won the South African lottery once. <laughs> Should so we get know. all the SA jokes out of the way, guys? And then, <laughs> how long's the show? <laughs> hmm. So, should we kick it off over to you, Ben? You can start us off with the news. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, the first one after obviously it's happening is um, HB oh, Anonymous attacking HB Gary, and um, him them showing him make him look a bit of a embarrassing situation. Um, where basically there was just a SQL injection um, on a website, uh, weak passwords, poor patching, people trusting too much, you know, typical fail on all sides. So, um, yeah, that's pretty cool. The thing I also liked is that, well, we'll give credit to Anonymous, because obviously we don't upset them, uh, that they actually um, shown what, how they did it. 
um, where like other people just go, I go, yeah, I've hacked this, I've done this, but they've got no proof. At least they've actually put some proof up there, and it's good information for like uh, security and other people interested in um, that type of stuff to see what is happening and how to actually do the attacks, especially these very, very simple ones. So, But wasn't that just part of the humiliation routine that they wanted to put HB Gary through? Yeah, but it's also, that's the part of it is because it was so easy to get into him. Uh, well, not into him. That was. <laughs> <laughs> That's what his partner said. Yeah, we know nothing about his sexuality. Moving along. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that's the beauty of it, because it was so easy for them to get in. You know, it's like the passwords, um, two of the people had really weak passwords, and they got in, and there was no, there was poor patch management. The servers were open to an exploit from last year, October last year, so, you know, they don't even look after their machines. So it's that's the humiliation part of it. It's more embarrassing because it's such an easy attack for them. So um, it was, it was a it was the CEO and the COO whose passwords were were weak and uh, obviously not great. But uh, I mean, just extrapolating this out, I mean, isn't this just how a lot of you know companies operate? And and we should talk specifically about infosec industry because obviously they are part of it. Um, then you get the sense that this is how quite a few small uh, consulting companies like operate or do you, do you feel that things are you know, particularly different? I think all it's com- all companies are the same, aren't they? No security basics, that's a problem. Yeah, exactly. It's, the thing is small companies and big companies have all the same issues where they get a bit of software, they roll it out, think it's fine, don't do any check-in and go, yeah, that's great. Um, they have a password policy, so the IT manager has a slightly complex password, but everyone else doesn't. So and they go, oh, we don't need to patch that because we've got a firewall, and then it just all falls down. It's like when it, uh, when it comes to passwords, yeah. size does matter, and complexity. It's got to look strange. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's just why my password is called Dale Pearson because I just thought it looked strange. That's right. With, with the HP Gary stuff, I kind of feel so. So on the one hand, I feel sorry for them. But just any time you see someone's mail spool on the internet, yes, you, you have to figure good. what you'd look like with with your mail spool opened up to everyone. Um, and in terms of like, I know lots of guys have been saying how easy it was, uh, how simple the hack was, and and there wasn't much complexity to it. But I think it's one of those uh, your keys are always the last place you look. Because why would you keep looking after you find them? So, like, the way a company gets breached is the way they got breached. And, like, you guys will know when you're pen testing, you'll almost always hear the customer say, ah, but you got lucky. If it wasn't for that one thing, you wouldn't have got the next pivot point. And the answer is, no, you would have found another way in if if that way was closed. Um, So it was certainly embarrassing and certainly props to, to Anonymous. But yeah, I, I suspect the mail spools have kept everyone busy for for the better part of a week, just listening into juicy fruit. Yeah, and also I think uh, a lot of a lot of people changing uh, probably changing passwords as well. I should imagine. Um, I yeah, mean, I changed my, my password from password one to password two. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that's the kind of sophistication we're after, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it, it just reminds me of um, since anonymous is is. You know, let's say a, a movement that's not specific to an individual target, but uh, any targets that kind of um, get in the uh, in the in the line of fire in terms of what their their overall objectives are. It, you know, it does remind me of some of the previous bouts where 
people have gunned after, in particular, infosec companies. And it's just really depressing to see, um, especially from from small to medium-sized security companies where, in some ways, you don't expect there to be a lot of discipline, but they're really sh- but there's so much talent, but they can't, yeah. you know, they just can't organize, you know, and that's the problem. They're just not organized. So they consider IT operations to be, it's a crap job. You know, it's like documentation. IT operations, you know, proper IT ops, having the right policies and actually uh, not being the doctor who smokes 60 cigarettes a day and, and then is advising customers not to smoke. Um, that's kind of sums up an unfortunately large amount of the InfoSec uh, consulting firms. At least that's the impression I get based on number of breaches that happened in previous years. Um, Haroon, I know, and I'm not asking you to speak about you know current or yep. previous, but what's your sense? Is it the kind of loads of talent that unless you've got someone there who's very strong on the operational side, um, yeah. they're just so, busy consulting and doing research and doing the interesting stuff rather than the so-called boring stuff. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's super interesting. So, so previously, I spent like 10 years at SensePost, and uh, I was super paranoid there, um, but paranoid to the point where you're almost obstructing work. So, for example, our public blog looked like WordPress, but is actually just a scale down Perl script with almost zero interaction. Yeah, it was because noticed actually. I did notice that it was uh, pretty it's, static. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that sort of stuff where you kind of go, no, no, we haven't had time to audit WordPress. Let's not get on that way, and let's make sure mail passes through to mail hops. And and with all that, there would have been the time when you check on the server and you'll find a customer report sitting in a web directory that someone forgot to clean up. Yeah. And if we were owned that week, then we would have looked like idiots that week. Mm. Um, but having said that, I, I know with some of the past ownage, like with Matisano or with Kaminsky, um, there's a good amount of forehead slapping where you go, come, that's customer report sitting, sitting on a public host. And again, like... I think there's some measure of uh, the doctor who's smoking 60 cigarettes and probably for a darker message, uh, we have to wonder if it means that the stuff can be done right ever. Like, like I know it's kind of a gut reaction thing that uh, the non-technical people will say, well, if they can't do it, uh, can anyone do it? And we kind of like to think that that's not true. But when you see so many people getting owned, and we know that we can't guarantee that we're not next, uh, you have to wonder how much of the stuff we're actually getting right. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I'm pretty paranoid, and I, I try to keep things locked down and, and be operationally sound. But, so you put um, it in the cloud? Absolutely. Well, then it's somebody else's <laughs> fault, isn't it? Um, I, I can give the Mitnick excuse. Um, so, <laughs> sorry. The, uh, but not that wasn't a apology to Kevin. Um, yeah, so I think the the, the, deal, the deal there, if I could get my words together, is that with a very targeted attack, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't know anybody that would stand a chance if it was really targeted. But obviously it's how many, it's the usual thing, how much does it cost the attacker to get to get at you and to, yeah. to achieve what they want. And so and, that's what I think yeah. security is about. It's about increasing the attacker's I, cost. I think, there's, I think there's that. And I think if you, if you throw back, and I'm not just saying this... Uh, because I know that you're now close to him, but if you take some of the stuff that Richard Baitlick's been saying for a long time, it's it's not the sexiest part of InfoSec, but but with all the ownage that we're seeing recently, there should be an increased focus on detection. Um, if you take HP Gary, for example, that's what, like, 
how many gigs of email exfiltrated from your mail server. Now, in their case, in their case, it was in the cloud, but nobody knew it was happening. Mm. And uh, the same for all the other ownage. The question is, it's one thing, everybody gets popped, zero day happens, but to not know while gigs of data are leaving your network, it changes the game slightly. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. And there's a couple of interesting things. I mean, from a cloud perspective, you're exactly right. It was it was the Google, uh, Google app stuff. And, and you've got to wonder, well, you know, it's, I don't know if there's any special arrangements for any you know any special people there, but generally, obviously, there's no there's no DLP set up, or if you know, even if we say that's a solution, you know. But I think it's, I think you know, a lot of the stuff which people poop are, I think that it gives you, it, it goes a long way. It just doesn't work in in all scenarios. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, since there nothing does, then that's what we go for. We go for a series of measures. Um, but yeah, I think it's. Uh, I mean, if you just look at trying to protect your mail spool, if you just think about what's involved in that and i'm sure you have that's just a nightmare thing because you're like well okay i don't want all my history i don't want if i'm going to get doxxed i don't want my whole historical mail spool going out okay so now i'm gonna have some process in place that says you know let's keep you know only the most recent number of days or weeks or months worth of messages you know easily accessible to me the other's going to be in some kind of encrypted archive which i can index and search but then i'm going to need a bunch of you know processes in place to do that so at a single you know infosec uh you know full-timer type level you can think like that and you can come up with measures but it just doesn't really scale um and so that's the challenge is that even if even if i can figure out some way to protect my own stuff which i think is really hard um, and I would be desperately embarrassed if I got doxxed, you know, because yes. there's, just, there's going to be all sorts of stuff in there. And whenever I see people get doxxed, I always have that sinking feeling of like, you know, what if it was me? And I think everybody, everyone who disses HB Gary um, has to apply that same thinking to themselves. And um, because I just don't think there's many people that are really doing it particularly special. They might be harder, harder targets, but um, but that's it. But I think the, the main point you're saying there is that it's like it's people. So if you're like a one-man band or a small, per, very small company, then you've got more control. But if you're a slightly medium-sized company, you got like Mr. Dick doing IT. He doesn't know anything about IT security. You got Mr. Intelligence doing all the uh, going out doing the pen test security work, but it's not produce, doing the stuff at home because he's just relying on other people internally to do his stuff for him. And I think that's what happened here. Well, it's because it doesn't make any money, and then they're concentrating as yeah. a medium company on, on going off and making money, and HP Gary, in this case, were concentrating on writing malware and uh, backdoors for everyone else's systems and not paying enough attention to their own. Um, I mean, if, if their passwords were so weak, it's just another case of you know security researchers and people working in security not eating their own dog food. I mean, everyone says use separate passwords on every single system. I can't say I am using separate passwords on every single system. I mean, I can say that I'm using enough differentiating passwords to make it so that if one password is exposed, that I'm not completely out in the open. It's enough to be able to say, okay, maybe they've got access to two or three different systems, but they're not, they haven't got access to everything. But so many people are just using, like, password 1234 for everything, and then as soon as they get that one password, they're just owned. That's it. Yeah, I think for the most part, like, but so other than much of the ugliness that came out from the from the uh, from the mail spools themselves uh, i think the the one thing that we take away from it is is not to crow as much when we win on pen tests 
um, because uh, it's it's one of the things that that I used to tell the guys for a long time. Like you engage in a social engineering exercise, you will win because you'll only stop when you win. Like like I don't think we've ever done a social and not won because you can just eventually cry till the person uh, gives in and and does your bidding. And the only reason security companies don't get taken out so much is because nobody's aiming at them. You aim at a security company with a well-written proposal and Trojan the proposal, and they'll try their hardest to open that that proposal because they want your business. And, yeah, I, I think we just need to learn that we need to find solutions that, that last longer than our pen tests. Cool. Um, since HB Gary proved that actually anybody can get owned um, and I've read a few articles in the past month that um, p companies should focus on PR more for um, reacting to breaches how do you think uh, HB Gary particularly acted right or not <laughs> right oh, in reacting question hmm? <laughs> uh, anyone else <laughs> yeah <laughs> Was that directed at Haroon or anything? I think he did the right thing. It went down the pub, so I think he did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fucked down the pub. See you guys, and that's it. I think the I think the stuff was horrific. I, I think uh, so. So initially, I said I wouldn't read the emails on principle, and and I quickly folded. Uh, started doing <laughs> uh, started doing searches for certain terms. I know I'm a terrible person. Um, but but some of them, uh, when you start going into their first realization that they'd angered the hive, um, the reaction was just pure arrogance. And and at that point, you start to think, guys, if if you know you're kicking over a hornet's nest, at this point, you probably want to be going over and checking every system that you've got exposed. Yeah. And uh, I suspect at some point, egos just ran away with people. Um, but they handled it probably as poorly as could have been handled. Do, yeah. do, does anybody uh, anybody think they will survive this? No, you, come on, Wim. You know what happens when a company gets breached. They they disappear. They <laughs> reconfigure, come back, different brand name. They change um, their names. Yeah, it's it's worked consistently, and it always will do. Um, totally. Yeah. Aaron Barr becomes Bar Aaron Harhar or something. Oh, just I think Aaron Barr might be looking for a job. I, I, I'm not sure he'll stay with Federal because the the other guys were quick to cut him loose. Yeah. And so it doesn't look like they've got long-term plans for him. What surprised me was how quickly other security companies like Palantir and Burko tried to cut HB Gary loose. Um, it, it was, I'm not sure if you guys saw, but they issued a press release saying, yeah. hey, listen, yeah, that's we, fair, we're though, not the same I mean, as those fair. guys. It, it's fair. But it was also surprising when you consider that that PPT that went out was on a Palantir background. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, it's kind of disingenuous to say, um, "Yeah, not us. We freedom loving." Oh yeah, uh, that was flag waving. I mean, my my, you know, legal uh, guided uh, mindset. Otherwise, it was complete BS, wasn't it? I mean, it was absolute, um, you know, f the falsest sincerity you can imagine. But I guess that's press releases, <laughs> you know. In general, yeah, yeah, yeah. that. It goes through the special press release machine. Cool. Ben, next one. Uh, next one is actually follows on very similar to that one. Is that McAfee have decided have done a article on a thing called Night Dragon? I don't know if they're trying to be like Bruce Lee or Ninja Five. <laughs> but it's uh, you know like whoa, we're ninjas, we're Bruce, 
dude, Ninja Dragon. <laughs> um, but it's very similar. Uh, they talk about like uh, at least five um, oil and gas firms being hacked um, over the last couple of years. Um, by, as they say by the Chinese yet again. Um, but it's very similar attack uh, vector how HP guys got done. You know, SQL on a website, weak passwords, poor patch management. Um, SE going into it. So again, it just shows that it's not just the small companies that are being um, exploited. It's also allegedly the uh, big ones by uh, Bruce Lee. So, <laughs> <laughs> the legend lives on. Yeah. So um, the one after that one is um, that uh, coffee. coffee is um, Starbucks um, had a nice little app on their iPhone, which uh, if you can get hold of someone else's phone, you can get free coffee for life, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, so not only can change the language to um, Japanese, and you can get free coffee. So um, yeah, the Starbucks app, they've got a little barcode on the phone, so you can top it up. And when you go to Starbucks, it's only in the States because the Americans aren't got used to currency yet. So they go up, they put the money against the little iPhone against the uh, scanner, and uh, it deducts it off there, and they get a free coffee. Or well, they get a free coffee, they pay for the coffee. But the barcode's the same on on all the on their account. So if you just find someone's phone, so when they go to the toilet, pick it up, either take a picture on your phone or just email it to yourself, and then you can use the um, barcode for your free coffee in the States, which I think is pretty cool. So It's called free enterprise, it's like isn't it? A, yeah. It's like a cheap, so like ben, a cheap version of near-field communications. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see if they do one for Clubmate, you know. I don't like it, but everyone else seems to like it, so that'd be pretty cool. So ben, I mean, obviously, given how you know enormously important that story is, what, what do you think of... Um, Starbucks's new coffee beans. They're, they're, they're actually switched. Um, I was being sold some the other day, actually. Um, I don't know if it's true, but um, the bloke said that uh, they were switching coffee beans and um, slightly more, uh, slightly stronger, slightly sweeter. Any thoughts on that? Well, they gone for Nescafe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's three in one. They just rip it open in front of you. And <laughs> well, I don't really like, like thick, creamy things in my mouth, so... Uh... <laughs> I rather mine. I rather have a girlfriend. <laughs> so you prefer it black, Ben? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, like women, black. black. Oh dear! <laughs> I don't know where you went then. <laughs> so anyway, anyway moving yeah, on. No. <laughs> so, talking, talking of porn. Yeah. Um, yeah talk um, this one is an epic uh, handling failure. It's by Manchester Library. Uh, pretty much they had a bunch of USB keys uh, key loggers on the um, internet workstations for the public to come and use so um, the reason why I think this is a massive incident failure is that um, so they, they say that the vigilant staff noticed these devices on the back of the um, keyboard unplugged them, phoned the police, the police came and took them now okay so they know these devices on there Manchester Library can't be that big because People in Manchester can't read. So, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, they got internet kiosks, which the people use so much stuff like CCTV, and we see the person unplugging them and arresting them. You know, it's it's just, I just reckon it's how they handled it completely. Um, they say it's a big, uh, good thing they've done, but no, I think it's just. thing is, though, right? Oh, hello. Do you think it's really. True, I mean, who's going to notice a keylogger, especially someone who works in a library? They can hardly find a book. Exactly. <laughs> so, I reckon probably just somebody just left a USB pen in there and they just go, 
oh look what's this you know yeah and some some geeky guy with glasses went now that's a key logger that is <laughs> got, got those on trains <laughs> it's, yeah, what's this oh, I resemble that comment <laughs> uh, sorry Chris, but you do look lovely in Anorak but do, do we have any idea I mean because I think that's pretty observant to, to pick that up. I think there's plenty of companies that... No, the reason why they, they picked it up is because the keyboard wasn't working. Oh. So it's <laughs> it's not really observant then, is it? No, so you went to go fix it and realised there's this device in there between the two. It probably was. It's probably a PS2 changer to a USB device. <laughs> Do you know what? I think <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> uh, for what it's worth, uh, a little while back, uh, South African banks were getting hit ridiculously hard with uh, people stealing credentials. And it turned out that what the guy was doing was putting hardware keyloggers at internet kiosks um, basically all over the country. And uh, the same thing, when you hear it, you go, well, who the hell internet banks from an internet kiosk? But apparently lots of people do. And the guy made millions before they caught him and sent him to prison. Apparently lots of people were doing their internet banking at the uh, internet kiosk RSA, which I thought was quite humorous. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I come across quite a lot um, doing penetration testing where you, you get vulnerabilities that can only be exploited if someone has physical access to the box before you. And the, the answer always comes from the customer. Yeah, but no one does that from a shared terminal. And this just goes to prove people do crazy crap from shared terminals. Yeah, but that's, uh, isn't that the nice thing, though, Chris? Uh, you know, Being an internal pen tester, is in that scenario, I just go, all right, let's grab access logs or whatever you know it is, and let's just do some uh, some basic stats on you know where people are, which IP ranges they're coming from as to... You know whether those are more public or private residential stuff, and I just I like to nail all that kind of stuff because you're exactly right. You hear this kind of nonsense, and you're thinking that's not true. <laughs> let's let's go get some numbers and back it up. Yeah, it's always nice to have some stats to back things up. Yeah, exactly. That's the security world all over, though, isn't it? That you know we talk about things as we are ultimately paranoid, and everyone says, "Oh yeah, but that just wouldn't happen." But, well, so but that's what happens all the time. Yeah, but it's, this yep. is all. I mean, this is your area, though, Dad, isn't it? This is about how the mind works and how we perceive risk, both personally as a, and as a group. Yeah, if it's not personal, we're not interested. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be personal, otherwise I'm just not buying into it. Come on. Well, that's the thing. It's how, how does it affect me? That's the, that's the thing. That's what people care about. And it's not until you either convince them of that or it does affect them that they get their knickers in a twist and want to spend some money. There's no, there's no me and I'm awesome. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree. You're not in that. <laughs> oh, I just, I, I felt that. There's a little tinge on my cheek. <laughs> Next, talking Next. to Cox. <laughs> oh, a double whammy. Oh. Donate this one to, um, I like to call it Cock of the Month, um, Mr. Kevin Butler from uh, PS3 Vice President. Um, I don't know if you heard, but Sony is a big hoo-ha that PS, the uh, PS3 got hacked and the, uh, some information is released for the copyright um, protection of the um, games and stuff. And if you have this uh, key, um, Sony's going to sue you and get you arrested. Uh, but Kevin Butler, the PS3 vice president, decided to tweet the key out. So um, he gave it out to everybody. And i like to know if Sony's actually going to um, pull him up or maybe get him arrested and let him get fingered in prison or something like that. Um, it's, 
it's just you know just so stupid that you know typical a massive epic fail on the security front. They're gonna arrest everybody. That's yes. It. Think of the money they can make. That's the reason why everyone should buy Xbox. <laughs> but it is it's, better. Yeah, it's better. It's more friendly and it's a lot better game. Are we getting paid for this? <laughs> well, we're hoping we're going to get some free Xboxes. Oh, okay. Then, Ben, do you want to talk it up a bit more? <laughs> yeah, Xboxes roll. Yes, just don't mention the red <laughs> ring. No one likes the red ring. Oh, no. Not even baboon. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Whoa, blast from the past. <laughs> uh, well, Ben, thanks again for the news. Much okay. appreciated. So, I guess now it's time to kick it off to the interview with Haroon. So, Haroon, thanks for joining us and putting up with our uh, antics throughout the news. Ah, thank you. So, for those who don't know you, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself and how you got your start in InfoSec? <clears throat> um, so, I've been doing it for a while. Uh, I started doing firewall network type stuff at the university where I got my degree and then started working there full time. I did uh, dev stuff for them, did uh, network security stuff for them. This is way back when Checkpoint, had, their Firewall 1 was still called Solstice Firewall 1. So it's a little bit showing my age. And I basically did internet stuff for them for a long time until I uh, joined SensePost about uh, 10, 11 years ago. And so at the time, uh, I met the sense post that just started up. We were literally operating out of Rulof's bedroom. So I came up, met them, uh, decided to join. Uh, had an incredible amount of fun for, for, about, for about nine or ten years. And last year, left to start something new called Thinkst. And the main reason for it, I guess we'll get into, but basically when, when SensePost started, pen testing wasn't that well known. So when you met people, they'd say, what do you do? And you say you break into computers and nobody really understood what you were doing. And then you tell them the company name is SensePost and nobody can pronounce it. <laughs> and after 10 years, uh, SensePost was pretty famous. So people knew the name and people understood penetration testing. So I decided it was time to start a company with a more arcane name with more vague objectives. And I mean, be be so, honest, the reason you left was because I started doing PTI, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, I thought that. <laughs> no, no. So, yes, uh, the PCI conversation is all on its own. But yeah, it was, <laughs> it, it's, certainly, uh, it's certainly interesting. But yeah, that's... That, me. Um, so I've spoken at a few conferences, uh, written a few papers, a few tools, a few books, uh, or parts of a few books, but mainly just had lots of fun for, for the last couple of years. So how are you finding doing your own thing? Um, it's, it's not that different. Like I say, SensePost was at a point just the six of us, and it was pretty much doing our own thing uh, back then. And so it's, it's kind of, for me, going back to the SensePost early days more than anything else. Um, except this time I'm a little older, a little grayer. Um, uh, people, for some reason, trust me a little bit more than they did back then. Um, so it's, it's fun. It's, it's fun and it's interesting, again, to be uh, small and, and trying out new stuff. And what services are you offering them with your new company? 
Um, Give you the, the opportunity the, to hit myself now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the, it's it's interesting because the the services itself are tricky. Um, one of the so I had a lot of freedom at Sense Post to do lots of stuff. I mean, we grew up, and at a point, uh, we we pretty much were in a good place. But but I think what happens is you. As as a company, you you kind of find a business model, and after that, you end up being a slave to your business model. So, so at a point, we all got into security, saying let's solve the problem. Along the way, we figured pen tests were a way to solve the problem. And six years later, you find out that you're doing pen tests because pen tests are the business model. Um, people know what they're buying, and people know what they're selling, and so pen tests become. The thing on the table, commodity, and the, yeah, and it, it's it's not so much the fact that it's a commodity from from the fact that it's it, prices are dropping. Like I think people will still pay for good quality pen tests, but for me, it's a question of whether every customer who buys a pen test needs a pen test, or if we just doing lots of really cool stuff that keeps us occupied but doesn't really help solve the problem. Yeah, and. I, I- yeah, yeah. I was just going to interrupt you there. I mean, I think it's the sort of, um, to use the parlance of my current employer, it's the sort of blue versus red approach. And yeah. I think there's so much mileage to be had with the kind of blue, which means more on the kind of, you know, vulnerability analysis or design reviews, all the all the traditional security stuff that you can do before you kind of start saying, all right, we're going to simulate a particular threat. So I think, uh, first of all, I think pen testing is, you know, I think it's an obvious statement. It's become an incredibly diluted. Um, it's it's an overloaded term that seems to mean different things to different people, and that's particularly true when you start looking at uh, CVs of people applying for jobs. Some people think it, it literally means, oh, you know, I. if you see, it's like a Unix pipe. If you see NMAP pipe to Metasploit pipe to uh, report, you know, it's like, Oh dear, that's that's really not what we're talking about, um, yeah. and so certainly one of the ways we've been thinking about it is more on the sort of threat simulation uh, side of things, which tends to make things a bit more realistic, at least. And yeah. Um, but yeah, but I think this this the whole pen test thing, and I, I know there's a, a new initiative that's been started up uh, by I think Wim, you're you're helping out, and maybe Chris uh, to do with uh, a kind of trying to better formulate what a pen test is about, but also not just talk about what it should uh, involve, but also um, what the report, you know, should include. And so that I think there's mm-hmm. there's some efforts that are, are going on to try and, um, I don't say stand, standardize, but articulate, you know, articulate what is it you should be getting. But I think you're right, Haroon, back to your point, that there's a lot of consulting companies that are just feeding, and this is where the infosec industry doesn't help itself, feeding off of this like pen test mantra because people get it you know they they get the offering now they didn't many years ago just like you say but now they get it and they think if they have one they're Absolutely. kind of done and it's it's and just scary isn't it? it it's a hard thing to get away from i mean uh, so i try hard to tell people that i'm not doing pen tests anymore and and literally i don't think a week goes by when i'm not when i don't have someone saying but i hear you but can you do a pen test for us <laughs> and it's it's one of those things that that's really hard to run away from and in in part what what i want is like if so the way we always did pen tests so the way that i always pushed for pen tests was for us to find interesting challenges and then you kind of find a way around it if if you look at the pen test as a challenge that needs solving 
you kind of throw determination at it, hopefully some brains at it, um, you write some tools, you come up with some new technique, and in the end you solve it. And what I'm hoping instead is to take some of that energy and uh, use it on problems other than how to break in. If you safely assume that you'll break in anyway, uh, given enough time, then I'm saying, uh, let's do the opposite. So let's have someone say, look, we have a problem with fishing and we know what the problem is. We just can't solve it. We, we're not coming right. We're still getting our users fished uh, six love. So can't you help us solve this? And, and I'm hoping that, that you can then throw the same kind of thinking and the same determination and maybe write a little tool and maybe stick two tools together and come up with a solution that works for that customer. But isn't isn't the big problem that people don't really know what they want? Yeah, so it's it's they don't know what they want, and like I say, it's it's a lot easier for them to say, well, why don't you just give me a pen test, and then I can say that I've done my security bit uh, for the year. And in truth, it's it's the gamble I'm taking with Thinkst, but also to be uh, like to be honest, uh, I've got a lot of uh, customers who, for some reason, uh, kind of trust me. Uh, over the last few years and so for the most part right now it's them coming to me and it involves some trust because basically they've got to say hey listen we're not getting this problem right uh, let's solve it but but for sure I think the question needs to be asked more like I think if if someone's done a web app assessment on your web app more than three times and broken you more than three times then a pen test on your web app is not the answer you, you need to ask the question why can't we write secure web apps and it's a different problem that needs solving. And if every time you do a pen test, guys break in through networks that you don't know are connected to you, then having another pen test next year is not going to make you more secure. And so for now, I'm mainly getting work from customers who are more experienced, customers who have banged their head against getting owned on pen tests uh, for the past 10 years. And I'm hoping that in time, that stuff will, will spread. For me, it gives me a chance to work on more interesting problems. And my bet is, or or where I could lose, is I'm actually hoping that I can solve the problem. So, um, Haroon, this is the ultimate post-exploitation, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> that's that's pretty much it. But, it's yeah, that's that's the hope. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm, well, that's, that's what I'm buzzing my time with at the moment. So I'm saying if people have interesting problems, I'll work on them. It's, it's kind of interesting that, I mean, most companies spend a, a lot of time doing penetration testing, as you say, which kind of tends to be futile. And I think one of the reasons why some companies um, don't really reap the benefits of penetration testing is that they're willing to spend you know, $20,000 on a penetration test and get someone to come in and tell you how they broke into your network and where all the flaws are and maybe hint to how you can make that better they'll then look at that report and throw out half of the stuff that you suggest where you're saying things like this vulnerability didn't allow us to gain access but it was a an information disclosure that allowed us to 
easier research how to gain access to your system. And it's those kind of small little bugs that can really add up after after an amount of time. If you've found you know five or six small bugs, it's amazing how you can chain them together to gain access to systems. But yeah. companies don't seem to be willing to fix those kind of bugs. And I think that's one of the one of the serious issues. If you don't write it in red pen and say this alone is a critical vulnerability and through this one flaw we can gain access to your system then it tends to get red penned as an expenditure that they're not willing to fix because it's marked as a medium or a low yeah i i think so so i agree with it and and for a long time i felt very strongly that guys need to be fixing all the little all the little pivot points that we use that took us to the big ownership of the network and recently i've started to change that thinking a little bit to say well maybe we need to do it differently maybe we need to say all the stuff is going to happen on an on a network how can we make sure that's what's important uh still stays secure and and again it's uh so i'm, I'm pretty fortunate i've i've literally had a customer saying can you fix phishing for us and i've had one saying can you sort out so that we can transact even when both parties in the transaction may be owned and uh, one of the customers i'm working with right now is saying we know our network is swiss cheese but can you make sure that whatever these 10 guys do uh doesn't make it out onto the internet ever and it's uh, it becomes an interesting problem it becomes a fightable fight and and maybe that's where that's where we'll go in the end this is really gets us close to like chris hoff and you know he always bangs on uh, his blog is titled this way you know about survivability which i think is is what security is about in a certainly in a business context and probably in a government context as well really it's about being able to continue operations even if it's degraded you know but knowing in advance what's important to you what you need to protect um so even though you may be you know half your ass has been owned you can still get done what you need to get done and you're aware when you can't uh, you know so your degradation levels you're aware of that. absolutely the the problem is it's a hard pitch uh, again if you're competing with sure I'll give you a pen test it'll be 2 weeks and so many thousand dollars first let me look at you what you're doing and let's figure out what's important and let's figure out how we can secure that stuff while allowing other stuff to get owned it uh it requires some measure of client maturity first and then some measure of client trust because they basically paying you for a bit to sit and think about stuff but maybe sometimes i think the company thinks they know what they need to protect but really they're not protecting the right thing so we have a responsibility to help the company understand really what they need to protect no absolutely Or- Uh, absolutely so i think that's so so part of it has to be uh, figuring out with the customer actually what's important cuz cuz they can't make a call sometimes on on how important their border router is for example and i think that's where you you add to the equation where you say listen if that goes this is what's going to go wrong this is why we need to protect that stuff and uh, i kind of see it as the the next generation of uh consulting for for lots of those guys um but yeah so to go back to the question so that's right now the the pitch that thinks makes is if you've got a hard problem then uh i'd like to work on it and so, so, yeah. sorry karam <laughs> no no and and right now i'm i'm pretty uh pretty open on on what that problem is so like i say it's been pretty diverse so far from uh playing with guys uh, on fishing to playing with guys with 
uh, one-time tokens to trying to get a reasonable, uh, say it even though it's going to get slaughtered, a reasonable web application firewall going. And uh, again, my my uh, reasoning is you can't necessarily write some tools to protect everyone, but you can write some stuff to protect uh, very specific people in very specific situations. And so for now, I'm just having fun uh, working on that stuff. So talking of some things, you spoke already a little bit about, you spoke at some conferences, but also you've made the comment about how there are so many conferences and maybe something you're trying to do about that. Um, yeah, so a little while back, so actually a customer uh, a customer of mine who basically just uh, pays me, and, and this guy basically just pays me to occasionally uh, talk uh, technical strategy and stuff to his company. And and he was asking me a while back, well, which conferences should he attend? And a little while after that, it was, well, he attended this conference, but there were 120 talks. And he met some people, but actually didn't get great value from it. And I started thinking about it a little bit. And you'll see the, if you go to my blog, the cheesy infographic that I uh, that I put together. But, but one of the things is that conferences have gotten uh, slightly out of hand. I mean, we've got a conference going on almost every day of the year, uh, just in InfoSec. And uh, when I mentioned it on Twitter, I know some guys, uh, some guys remarked, like uh, Charlie Miller said that, yeah, the answer is less conferences. But I also think that that's wrong. I think we need conferences because we need young guys to come up and we need new researchers to stretch their legs in the field. But the problem is that it generates so much of noise that uh, we lose the signal. And uh, so one of the things that uh, that customer, in fact, asked me for is if I could basically tell him, listen, this stuff uh, was interesting, but this stuff is super important. And this stuff you really need to be thinking about uh, for the coming year. And, and if you take a look at, at just take the past year's conferences, um, and pick a topic, pick a topic like uh, memory corruption bugs. I mean, across the literally 100 conferences that happened last year, there were lots of guys talking about new memory corruption uh, techniques. And the question is, which ones were fixed on the next patch cycle versus which ones have moved the ball forward and actually are going to be the new dominant bug class? Which are the ones that you should get your developers on uh, right now? And, and I think uh, some of that stuff, like I say, is just lost in the noise. And so uh, what I've got is uh, Thinkscapes, which is basically just a quarterly document that goes out that says this is what was interesting in the last, uh, last four months. And this stuff was marginally interesting, but this stuff really bears watching. And this guy did this talk, and it's building on his work that he did uh, two years ago but you should watch it because it's on a trajectory that's going to influence lots of stuff. So basically, it's uh, it's like having me uh, whispering in your ear at a conference without the annoying South African accent. <laughs> that's the charming bit, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's what my mother says. Um, no. uh, that doesn't but... count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, she says so you're, you're beautiful too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was um, tough. But, uh, <laughs> so where, where can people go? Where, where is your blog? If you want to. Oh, sorry. So if you go to blog.thinks.com, um, it's a pretty low volume, 
I don't blog nearly as much as I used to uh, when I was back at SensePost. But yeah, blog.thinks.com and you should find it on there. And the service is called uh, Thinkscapes just because I'm notoriously bad at naming stuff. But um, yeah, that's that's pretty much what it is. And it's uh, priced at something like, uh, it's priced at $8,000 a year. And uh, in part, the pricing is just uh, aimed at less than what you'd pay for good pen tests. So if you consider you get four, four of those reports and a whole bunch of ad hoc reports. So for example, the HB Gary stuff would have gone out in an ad hoc report saying, hey, listen, this is what went down. Uh, this is who Anonymous is. This is who HB Gary is. This is why it's interesting. And here's what you, you can expect to happen in the next bit. But the ad hoc reports are, like I say, pretty ad hoc. Uh, the Hopefully the, the joy comes uh, just in figuring out the, the signal from the noise with all the conferences. Yeah, because what's interesting is that obviously there's a lot of traditional IT analyst companies out there who, you know, various IT leaders will be uh, subscribed to, listening to, or just kind of like reading and uh, and maybe laughing. But um, but it, what struck me was that Threatscapes really seems like a very specialized, uh, you know, version of the, the traditional IT analyst, but with someone that actually knows what they're doing. So someone that's, that's hands-on, that's got experience and uh, has kind of seen, seen enough to be able to judge stuff um, from that's, from an offense point of view, is that how is that how it is? Or yeah, that's pretty much what I'm hoping for. So so uh, I can tell you in, in the past few years, it's it's one of the things that I did uh, even at the previous company, which is after a conference, we'd sit with the guys and we'd go through, hey, this is important and this area is is worth looking into. And so fortunately, it's it's one of the things that having done this for 10 years kind of falls into kind of what I do. And, and I'm sure that, that lots of the guys, uh, lots of the guys here on the podcast have, has, have similar skill sets, but it, um, I'm kind of lucky in that I kind of have played in most of the areas, uh, even of InfoSec, uh, to some extent. So I've got a reasonable, uh, reasonable about of experience in web app hacksering and in network pen testing and in memory corruption attacks, at least enough to be able to give a, a fairly nuanced view of, hey, this was really cool, but actually this is going to be taken out by the next big bug fix. And this stuff's cool and it's not going to be fixed for a while because it has these implications. And, uh, not being a full-time memory corruption guy also means that I don't diss everything web app and don't diss everything uh, network uh, pen testing. So it, it yeah, kind of allows me to play across the field and allows me to, to give almost fair comment across the field. So kind of a, yes, this is uh, really easy to do, but it's going to mean that you're going to have lots of kids using this attack class against you so you need to watch out for it, even though it's not particularly sexy. So does that mean you're going to be going to more conferences than, than Chris does? Because Chris holds the record <laughs> for being at so many conferences. And, and so in order to compile these threatscapes you know, with um, the, the kind of intel on the latest talks, and it's, is it just you or do you have anybody else working? Um, so, so I've got one guy who's recently just joined me, God help him. But... <laughs> But for now, Thinkscapes, uh, Threatscapes is uh, mainly all me. 
except he's currently putting together a database uh, that that we'll release shortly that will kind of allow people to browse. So you should be able to click on a speaker like Craig Balding, and it should tell you he gave these three individual talks, and this two were actually repeated at the following end conferences. And in don't, past his... don't reveal my secrets, Arun. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, these, yes, yes. and these are the three blog posts that Chris wrote about it while he was while, while yeah. Chris was speaking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's talking. That was the scary part. He's so efficient. Let's guess one well, of my questions is that both to Arun and to Chris is that. If you're not so much for Chris, because I know you're not doing it to get paid, but you're doing it to spread the word sort of thing, but if you're attending conferences and having to have so much focus on taking guest notes or feeding this information in to store it somewhere and process it, so you're not focused on the networking stuff with individuals so much, does that take the enjoyment out of the conferences? Um, so, in truth, um, um <laughs> I'm I'm pretty anti-social, so I've got a bit of a bad reputation for for uh, doing my talk and then hiding in my room for the rest of the conference. <laughs> in in general, um, I, I think over the years I've run out of excuses, uh, so so now people don't even ask me for excuses. Um, in in truth, um, I don't necessarily plan to attend all of these conferences. Um, like I said, um, it's it's pretty much what I've been doing till now. So, so in terms of getting conference material, reading up on it, speaking to people or close friends who I know who have attended, basically it involves reading lots of the papers. So, so where the papers are put out, actually making sure that you go through them reasonably, um, where it's reasonable working through some of the stuff. So going, hey, this looks interesting, uh, actually trying it out and figuring that the guy's research was good demo wear but never going to hold up on a, on a real network. Um, so I end up doing lots of that anyway, uh, whether I attend the conference or not. And in part, it's kind of an addiction. It's something that I thought I'd be over once I left, once I started the new company. And I find that I do it anyway. So, so yeah, it's it's something that I end up doing by default almost. Well, doesn't that um, cause problems with you know, more private invite-only kind of conferences where you tend to see... Um, I'm going to say better talks and I'm going to say different talks or where people are, feel slightly freer to talk about uh, their latest O-Days or the latest attack vectors because they know they're not going to be publishing the paper and they're not going to be publishing no, for their videos. Sure. For sure. And, and in cases like that, I won't talk about stuff unless the guy gives me permission to. So, so for any of the private con stuff, if, if the stuff's going to come out, it'll only be after speaking to the author and, and finding out that he's okay with what I plan to say on it. But but for the most part, I think there's enough noise that needs clearing up just in the public conferences. Um, in in large part, the the aim of of uh, of this is to clear up the noise. It's to say, hey, all the stuff was out there. Here's the stuff that you need to pay attention to. So it's it's very much kind of like a, I've taken all twenty tracks at the latest Black Hat and brought it down to two talks that were actually interesting. Yeah, pretty much. So probably a little more than that, but but it'll probably be I don't know. something like. Use <laughs> cynic, probably, Chris. Use cynic. It 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 basically will be that. It'll be look, 120 talks just happened. Uh, this these two talks really pushed this new concept forward, and this stuff really bears watching. And this stuff uh, looks interesting. We should probably look at it. Cloud security. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's interesting in that. Yeah, no, no, one is I know. Um, so Haroon, question for you. Back yes. to uh, Zarkon. How do you yes, pronounce sir. it? Is it Zarkon, Zakon? Zedacon. Zedacon. Sorry. Okay. So Zedac. Oh, like an acorn. Zed. Um, Zacorn. Yeah. Zedacon. Yes. So the conference what? without a tagline. <laughs> yeah, that's that's unusual and refreshing. Um, so what's the what's the deal in terms of the when we get guests on we we often like to ask what the infosec scene is like in their country and interpret infosec however you want. Um, yeah. But but what's it like in South Africa and you know, the sense I get from watching the videos, and I, I really did enjoy many of the videos and from you know, the last couple of years, was that you're really trying to um, develop uh, or, or get a voice to people that maybe are doing the research at home. Maybe they're not even in a full-time security job, but they're kind of doing this stuff, and you, you kind of want to get their voice out there and get them into somewhat into the circuit because there's, there's certain visibility benefits and... Um, yeah, financial benefits to that. Do you want to just talk a bit about about that and how how ZACon came about? Yeah, sure. So, so first of all, you smack on right. So, so big point of ZACon is just to get guys uh, fiddling with stuff and researching and and seeing the coolness. And uh, there's there's multiple reasons why we thought we needed it. Um, but probably the big one is wasn't me. Um, that was mine. Sorry. <laughs> Um, probably the big one is it's um, so so Dave Vitel, who's who's always excellent for for biting quotes, um, said something about how if if somebody had to start uh, hacksering today with all of the OS level protections that exist, he'd probably never reach the level of proficiency needed because it's too hard today. Okay, now of course uh, young guys come along all the time to prove that theory completely wrong, but but the point is sound that the field is really intimidating for young guys to get into today. And in South Africa, uh, part of the problem is that you've got lots of guys who kind of are maybe interested, but it's really a bridge too far for them. Um, so they, they're doing their corporate job, and they maybe hear about Black Hat, and they maybe know someone who attended, but, but actually contributing is really far away from their mind. And so a few years ago, um, Marco from SensePost, um, Marco and I were talking about putting together a conference and basically the point of it being a non-sponsored, non-corporate driven event. So both of us were at SensePost at the time and the plan was for it to be non-SensePost driven. And basically what we wanted was a way to start getting people interested. And uh, I know I mentioned it before, but it's almost to lower the bar. So, so I know it sounds uh, counterintuitive because normally you want to go in there and raise the bar and get synergy and all of that stuff. But in, in this case, uh, what we wanted was to show guys that actually it's okay to come in and talk about how you configured SE Linux on your box because maybe he'll do it and maybe he'll get the experience and maybe it'll start someone in the crowd thinking about how SE Linux is doing this daft and we should be doing something else. But basically, it's to start getting people used to actually fiddling, actually researching, and actually generating stuff. Almost the, the central theme is uh, to make people produce instead of consume. Because part of the problem now, and it's again tied to the fact that there's such a wealth of information out there, is that people 
are consuming more and more, and they seem to think that they're doing something useful just by consuming. So, so you start to listen to excellent podcasts like this one, and uh, you can basically. <laughs> Haru, can, can you say that slower so that we can extract it from the audio? <laughs> <laughs> this is your this is your trash, right? You remember which podcast you're on? No, but but seriously, you can you can kind of fill up your your uh, iPod or your, your and you you can have a full on podcast so that you you're not thinking about doing stuff anymore. You're just listening to stuff that other people are saying they did, and you think you had a productive day. And uh, actually, what we're trying to say to guys is, no, come on, do stuff. Like, stop watching other people do it. Do it yourself. And so a little bit we have to, we, we have to deliberately lower the bar because we want to encourage people. So, so there's some talks, for example, that we look at and go like, hmm, this guy's actually got it a fair bit wrong. Um, but what you want is for him to get it right. And so you want to accept the talk and talk him through it and, and see if we can get it to a good state. Um, yeah, so, so I'll tell you guys a really, really long time ago, uh, and again, it's going to show my age, um, but Ping from Black Hat was telling me that, that they had this uh, reverse engineer give a talk, and he was so nervous that his talk went really badly and uh, basically couldn't uh, string words together without uh, looking at the floor, except that Jeff from Black Hat felt that the guy was worth uh, betting on, and so they gave him another chance, and that guy was Helva. And uh, Halva became Halva, who now is much larger than life uh, in InfoSec and reversing. Uh, and so kind of what we're hoping for is some of that, that uh, young guys will try out and may not be awesome the first time, but it's awesome that they're trying and will get awesomer as they go. Well, and I mean, if, you, so, if you want bad presentations, then uh, just give them a shout. <laughs> But don't you think, Haroon, I mean, just to take it on the old cultural uh, vibe for a second, Yep. don't don't you think, I mean, me sort of coming from England, I I think it's got a lot to do with the way that, you know, different nationalities are kind of brought up and the way that we feel comfortable expressing ourselves. So if I think about, so I've worked for a US company for many, many years, and through that, you know, I've met some really and that's the thing, you know, people think, oh, US company is going to be a load of stupid. Of course. <laughs> there we go. Elevator music. I'm boring. <laughs> I've only been talking for 20 seconds. It's all it takes, Dale. It's normally like 10 minutes when I, when I talk. Um, I do know this, listeners. Um, but I think the point I'm trying to make before I got really interrupted by the injury <laughs> is, um, is that. For example, the U.S. much more comf- uh, confident with show and tell. So, you know, in the classroom, standing at the front as a very young child, talking about something they did, something they're proud of. And you know, certainly from you know, if you're in England, you you never did that. That was just that was like the antithesis. It was the opposite of anything you would ever want to do. And so, yeah. like for example, the first talk I gave, which happened to, like in terms of infosec, was Black Hat. I was crapping myself. You know, I was really like, why am I doing this? This is like suicide, <laughs> you know. Yep. And um, and I thought I'll do just, yeah, I'll just do death by bullet point. And that's why I did nice slides. The slides got a really good reaction. But, I, you know, I was really scared. I was fearing for my sanity and yeah. uh, and my future income. But, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I think it's that difference. And I think what I see with uh, ZACON is that, 
you know, and I, I get the feeling that, that it's not so different in South Africa in terms of the, the way you guys are brought up, just as a sense of, yeah. you know, the way that you express yourself and, and carry things out. Is that yeah. it's the same deal? Is that if I think about our American cousins, they're really, you know, very comfortable standing up talking about what they did. They could be talking about running an MMAP scan and they would talk about it like, it was um, brilliant, and that's how they felt, and they can encapsulate that. They can feel good with that. But yeah, absolutely. From my perspective, you know, it's like, oh, it was just that. You know, and, and yeah. that's, that's the problem is that there's some kind of middle ground that we need to figure out where it's like you've got to get up, you've got to be able to say this stuff, and then once you get that out of your system, you'll move on to the next stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And look, for, for the most part, what, what I'm really trying or what we're really trying to get right is having guys do stuff. So, so I think there's the there's the talking about it, which I think you smack on right. I think there's a cultural uh, hesitancy, a kind of a cultural we're not good enough um, that creeps in that needs to be beaten out of people. But but I think that's like an easier fight to fight. What the thing that really worries me is that I'm afraid that we that the guys get so used to just consuming. That they, that they don't think that producing is possible. So, so the guys kind of end up in a rut where you, you kind of think that it's your place to run other people's tools and learn other people's, uh, other people's presentations without ever saying, let's do this stuff. And one of the things uh, that you guys will know is that presenting isn't easy. I mean, standing up on stage and talking is not particularly difficult, especially if you semi-narcissistic like, like we are. I, I find looking foolish quite easy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've been doing it for a long time and it comes naturally. But, <laughs> but, but I mean, um, the difference between thinking you know NMAP and saying, I'm now going to teach you NMAP. And the day you stand up to teach someone, you suddenly realize, hold on, a Christmas scan actually sounds the same as an X scan that I had in my head. So clearly I don't understand this properly. And if sequential IDs are predictable, then why isn't spoofing possible, for example? And some of that stuff is hard. It's, it's the same. So I heard you guys, proof that I, I actually listened to you guys. Um, a, a while back, you guys were talking about how difficult putting out a quality blog post is. And it's one of those things where I want guys to say, let's take the trouble to create something. Because actually creating something decent is hard. And the, the danger that... Uh, I'm worried about is where there's this little dip that the guys have to go through where it's difficult and maybe it doesn't come naturally. And at the same time, they could use the time listening to a high quality podcast like this one. And, and so the guys end up thinking that they don't have to do that, uh, that blog post. And, and yet I think that if they do, they're going to be so much better for it because the stuff's going to roll on and other people are going to learn from it and they're going to learn from having done it. And uh, it, it just works out better all around. Yeah, totally. You should listen to um, when we were at BrewCon last year. Uh, we did a podcasters meetup and the same thing came up and it was about, you know, there was a bunch of things in there, but one of them was about that create versus consume. And uh, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's, it's, it is harder to create. And every time I, I write a blog post, which unfortunately isn't as frequent as it should be, um, yeah, it's really hard. It's hard to write. It's hard to put down your thoughts. It's easy to think you know your thoughts, and then once you start trying to figure out who you know, who are you writing for? That's that's one of the hardest decisions ever because if you start switching that persona that you're writing for, and 
you know, then your blog post takes three hours to write rather than maybe the half hour that it should. Um, But yeah, it's, uh, and that's the thing because I I think back to when I started out and I was Unix sysadmin and then kind of got the the calling after after reading a, a book and kind of discovering, wow, there's all these security issues on the systems I look after that I thought were all right. Then you go into, you know, consume mode. But back then it was it was pretty easy. You know, it was like you could read an awful lot, but you would never be drowned. Whereas now it's there's so many, there's so much, even in the, if you just look at all the stuff that's, that's out there, there's so much quality signal once you can differentiate that, that, you know, you could really just consume for the rest of your life and never take the initiative and get up and do something. And and the thing with the, I mean, that's, that's, so just tying it back to South Africans, the thing that I've found with the, the SAs that I know is that actually they're very much get up and do it. You know, they're kind of, um, they're not the consumer sit back on the sofa and just take it. And now I, I know that that may be generational. but I think um, you're also probably seeing a, a selected bias. Oh, so the I guys totally that am. You I'm see seeing the guys. the guys that have percolated up. So Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah. So for ZACon, um, a whole bunch of guys then got behind it. Uh, so Matt Erasmus, uh, you guys mentioned uh, Ruloff and uh, Dominic. So uh, Dominic White Singe on on Twitter, and basically uh, it's been pretty great. So we ran the first one, and the crowd was good. And last year's was even better. We had quality speakers. We had. Oli Whitehouse Skype in from uh, Skype in from the UK. Nice. And um, yeah, it's it went, last year we tried something new. So we introduced uh, a concept that said if you want to do a talk, but actually don't know where to start, like you kind of think you want to talk about a subject, but that's about as far as you go in your head, then speak to us and we'll tag someone onto you, and he'll basically walk you through the talk. Uh, push you in the right direction and obviously that guy gets no credit uh, as the tutor he's just going to be on your shoulder and help make it happen and uh, it was interesting to see how that stuff worked out like initially there were maybe 10 people who signed up saying I'd love to do that always wanted to do a talk and after initial meetings with the guys about half of them dropped out Um, and once it got down to actual serious work uh, another half of that dropped out and in the end, there were just two guys who presented uh, that came up through that assisted presentation technique. And I hired one of them. So, so yeah. Now we understand what it's about. <laughs> A rising tide lifts all ships. That's what oh, I say. No, but you're right. I mean, the thing is, I remember going to some really early Canset West talks. And I was really lucky to be, you know, my, my employer was willing to spend out the money to fly me out there. And and I remember um, t- talking to Tragos and just saying, you know, one of the things he was working on was trying to get some of the speakers who had, you know, they had massive amounts of talent. But as you mentioned about, you know, maybe Halvar's first talk, you know, he just didn't have the confidence. And whereas now, yeah. if you listen to Halvar, it's like you would never believe it, you know. Um, and, and that's the thing is about there's all these people that have this talent and people have to coach them. And so... Uh, there's probably a segue for infosec mentors here, isn't there, Wim? Um, but um, but there is a lot to be said about you know supporting people, and you're not going to get any credit for it. But but that's cool. You know, it's kind of like just yeah. just just putting something back in, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. And look, uh, less altruistically, it always helps to have more smart people around. Yeah. Um, whether they end up at a customer or whether they end up working with you, um, it, it never hurts to, to increase the smarts. Well, that's, so, why, that's why I invite uh, Ben on the podcast, Wicked Clown, because <laughs> we're hoping that his, you... his negative IQ acts as like a multiplier for us. That's that some sort of integer Did you're, I miss something in maths? <laughs> you, you're a trash for charity, no? <laughs> you're a I, I, I thought it was a special case. Thank you, guys. No, you are. You are. You're really special. You get an extra ten minutes per hour. In your own special way. <laughs> gold star. Gold star. <laughs> nice. Cool. So, Haroon. So, I think we've been running for a while now. So, we probably have to wrap it up, don't we, Dale? How, how long? How long have we got? Oh, uh, I guess we've got. A f- unless uh, Haroon's got anything else he wants to mention, any nope. things he's working on or upcoming conferences he's talking at or anything like that. Um, nope. So um, I've got a few things, but uh, I'm working on, but they'll pop up sooner or later. So I'm actually good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Okay. So if people want to follow you, obviously you mentioned your blog already. Is there a website or Twitter or anything that you want people um, to hook you up on? So my Twitter is uh, Harun Mir, but I'm probably one of the worst tweeters uh, there is. Like I, I frequently type something in the text box, ask myself if it needs saying, and decide that it probably doesn't need saying. What, you, so apply, you apply quality control to your tweets? You just I don't, don't know. get Twitter, do you? <laughs> I, I, so I think Chris has summed it up. <laughs> yeah, I've spoken to a few people to try to teach me uh, how not to be so anal about it. Um, and But I can't. Uh, so, so, yeah, so anyway, on Twitter, I'm Harun Mir. Um, I've managed a total of 265 tweets. And Haroon, I think I, I just drank, a, I just drank a strawberry milkshake. What did you do? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm gonna. Yeah. No, so that's me on Twitter and uh, blog.things.com uh, is uh, infrequently updated, but is updated when stuff comes out. And yeah, that's me. You can mail me uh, harunetthings.com if you've got hard problems that you want a guy with a bad accent to think about. And we're just, just, just before we, we let you win. go. <laughs> yeah, we got win for that. Um, you got Haroon, for what? We let you go. There was the uh, fig leaf talk, and I, just, I didn't want to miss out on it because uh, personally I got a lot from it and thought there were a lot of themes that I could uh, totally nod my head to. Can I just give, like, the, uh, and putting you on the spot here, I apologize, the oh, one minute yeah. version of the fig leaf talk, like, uh, and where people can watch it because I think there was a, a Vimeo recording of it. Oh. Yeah, so if you go to um, the ZACon site, there should be a link uh, to the video there. Actually, there should be a link on my blog too. But um, the crux of the talk was basically a, hey guys, let's stop uh, hiding behind uh, statements. And and I think in InfoSec, we've got a whole bunch of them that we hide behind. Uh, and in part, there's just a, come on, let's stop talking about the stuff and start doing it. And uh, it applies to where we stand with InfoSec and, in part, where we stand with research. So all of the, I didn't do it because of the following end good reasons, or we didn't, uh, we're not secure because of the following end reasons. I'm saying, come, let's put that stuff behind us. Let's just put our head down and start doing stuff. Um, so that's about it in a minute. Um, I promise that the video actually includes more ums and ahs. It's badly lit and badly shot. Excellent. Um, so, yes, somebody should definitely check that out. 
<laughs> Somebody. <laughs> okay. So, um, before we wrap it up, we'll just go uh, around the table, see if anyone's got any questions. Ben, you got anything? Uh, no, I'm okay, thank you. Chris? No, I'm good. I think we've uh, covered covered a lot of ground, and I think there's a lot of in- interesting information that we can take away from the discussions. So. Okay. Wim? Well, since the uh, Brucon CFP launched uh, this week, would you consider submitting to the Brucon CFP? Um, I shall indeed. Um, so I, I shall means I shall ponder submitting. So I've got something that I'm working on on OSX that's not quite ready yet. And um, right now, talk ready. I've got my uh, the talk that I gave at Black Hat last year, but I kind of hate repeating talks. So mostly, mostly only ever give talks uh, once or twice. So um, I'll mail you offline and and see see if there's anything that I can do that you guys won't hate too much. Cool. And it'll be cool to be there. Yeah. Well, cool. Bro- Craig, Brooklyn is a good conference. I've heard good stuff about it. Uh, Matt tells me he'd go there almost for free, so he'd pay to completely pay just to go out there. So, so you guys did something right. Excellent, Craig. Anything more from you? Yeah, just one, <laughs> just one thing. Um, surprise! Yeah, big shock, Arun. So, if you had like one message for somebody that was like just getting started in uh, IT security, maybe they're a sysadmin or whatever, and they're kind of converting over. What would you uh, what would you say to him? Um, almost more than anything else, and uh, I'd say do stuff. So so it sounds uh, it's it sounds really trite, but I think people really underestimate the value of actually uh, doing stuff. Um, and uh, what I mean by that is, if he's a sysadmin and he's just started out and he's configured uh, SSH uh, authentication on his box. Write it up and put it out there. Uh, tell people why SSH authentication works that way. And uh, right now, I think I'd advise almost anyone to make sure that they're developing. Uh, so even if they're just scripting, but I think right now, if they're not, if they're not putting together some code, it's going to hurt them in the long run. And other than that, I think, uh, yeah. So it's it's going to turn into a longer story but at the, there was a there was a paper a long time ago called you and your research by by richard hamming uh the guy who uh the guy who put together uh the hamming number and all of that and if if you read that paper so go look for you and your research by richard hamming and it's absolutely everything that you'd want to say to anyone uh starting off in this field all of the stuff's in there it's going to say it's going to cost you uh don't fool yourself into thinking life balance works out perfectly with achieving truly spectacular results. But if you want it, it's worth it. Uh, make it happen. Well, I hate and I'm terrible at coding, so I guess I've got a world of pain coming my way. <laughs> so on that bombshell, thank you very much, Arun. <laughs> uh, thank you, guys. Coming on the podcast. It's yeah, much appreciated, Arun. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks much, you guys. Chat soon. Yeah. Okay, and catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Cheers, listeners. Bye. Bye. Unexpected.
taking a new flight Consider them as geniuses in their own right That's intelligent, innovative, running up the score The best co-workers that anyone could ask for Walk in with escorts, leave in the office Arms holding cardboard, lives in those boxes Rewind a few hours, they were pushing code to test A few minutes back, they were cleaning out the desk Tony was furious and ripping out the fixtures Pushed him out the door, didn't let him get his pictures Nick was in shock, the news just hit him Highs in the days as he turned off the system Justin was calm, cause he knew they'd find work and this was the bottom so it wouldn't get worse Let's out a sigh, thoughts on his mind As he locked himself out for the very last time Here we go, no telling what's next Life's up and down, never know what you'll get Be prepared when you're put to the test Gotta step up, you can stand above the rest Here we go, no telling what's next Life's up and down, never know what you'll get Never know what you'll get Gotta step up and you stand above the rest Fast forward three months, life's no joy Both Tony and Justin are still unemployed Craigslist, LinkedIn, nothing there to offer Tired of the same old postings on Monster They had a few interviews, nothing that would fly Employers see their resumes and say they're overqualified Nick's got a job, he's way underpaid As a help desk tech for a help desk wage At home every day, Tony's writing code Cause exploits paid, but the debt still grows Check this post, a high price quote With the back door wanted for an app they wrote Justin's unsure, Nick moves ahead Cause his boss just wrote him up for browsing the web Surprised to connect to the CVS box It had been three months and they hadn't been blocked Still had to log in, which ended up a task Trying all the usernames and passwords they had Maybe they forgot to go and change one or something All accounts locked out, except one of Justin's Here we go, no telling what's next Life's up and down, never know what you'll get Be prepared when you're put to the test Gotta step up, you can stand above the rest Here we go, no telling what's next Life's up and down, never know what you'll get Never know what to get Gotta step up, then you stand above the rest Justin came around, he knew they could hack it Fired up a sniffer and they're capturing the packets Man in the middle, watching conversations Came across the CEO's banking information Cron job set for the end of next week It would send all the money to a bank overseas The funds would be secure and accounts offshore There's no extradition laws out of Singapore Turning it around, they were going there to stay With the severance pay, bought tickets one way Packed the whole lives into one bag each Cause if you go to jail then that's all that you need The whole flight dragged as they all felt nauseous Nervous, fatigued, can't sleep but exhausted Barely cleared customs, they all said thanks Hopped on the train, went straight to the bank Just as expected, they had the right amount Balances withdrawn as they closed the accounts Tried playing hardball, my friends played cover I'm flying out to see them for a visit this summer Here we go, no telling what's next Life's up and down, never know what you'll get be prepared when you're put to the test Gotta step up, you can stand above the rest Here we go, no telling what's next Life's up and down, never know what you'll get Never know what you'll get Gotta step up and you stand above the rest
Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.